Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I love when we do these My Millennial Story episodes because we get to hear from you, our listeners, and we just, I don't know, like we can all learn from each other and we can all be encouraged from everyone's story. But today on the podcast, this is really cool. Sarah Kelsey, she is a podcaster. She hosts a podcast called One Heart Project. She's got a cool Instagram account. We've been kind of connected for a couple of years now and I really love what she's doing and I listen to her podcast sometimes and I just think she's such a good interviewer. And I asked her if she wanted to jump on My Millennial Money and do some episodes just interviewing listeners of the show. And today's her first episode where she's just interviewing listeners from My Millennial Money. You've heard Sarah on the podcast before and she's interviewing someone I've actually known for many years. Uh, His name's Aaron and he's a teacher. And if you are a school teacher, he runs a podcast called Teacher Takeaway Podcast. And I just wanted to promote his podcast because there's a lot of teachers who listen to My Millennial Money. And I haven't even heard any of this episode and I'm going to listen to it live. Anyway, we can't do our Thursday show without the help of Global X. Each year, the ETF landscape grows as more and more funds get added to the market. In fact, more than 43 funds were added to exchanges last year. This is why GlobalX have created a tool for investors to compare all the ETFs currently available in Australia. Head to globalxetf.com.au forward slash MMM to download your copy today. Thanks so much, GlobalX, for supporting the Thursday show. I'm really pumped to listen to this episode. I haven't listened to it. I just wanted to listen to Sarah and Aaron talk live in the wild like you are today. And now I bring you Sarah Kelsey interviewing Aaron for My Millennial Story. everyone. I'm sure Glenn has already done a little intro for us, but I may be a new or unexpected voice on the pod today. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. And I'm more than excited to be a part of sharing the incredible stories of the My Millennial Money community, starting with Aaron here. So Aaron's an educator and host of the Teacher Takeaway pod. Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. Could you give us a little snapshot of you and your life and what's happening within your world at the moment. Yeah, thanks for having um, me on the podcast, Sarah and Glenn as well. It's awesome to be here. So I am um, an, an educator, so I've been teaching for 15 years and this year I've kind of stepped out of the classroom and into a bit of a coaching and mentoring role. So I'm in a, an assistant principal curriculum position and so I work across all of our classrooms to support you know good quality teaching in every classroom for every student, which which I absolutely love, but I live on the Central Coast, grew up here on the Central Coast of New South Wales. I am married. My wife is also a teacher, so teaching is very much a big part of our world. 
Um, we've got two daughters. Uh, they are one's almost nine, and the other is four and a half. And yeah, that's our that's our life, and that's what we do. And like you said, I host a podcast as well called the Teacher Takeaway Podcast, where we share. I guess it's a, a great hub of discussion around quality teaching and things that are you know happening in the teaching world, as well as sharing. I guess that quality teaching examples in my um, social media accounts. So I also have an account called Mr J's Learning Space on Facebook and Instagram where I share sort of great examples of uh, teaching and what we're doing in the schools that I work in. Mm, Amazing. It seems like it's such a huge passion for you. Was this something, was teaching an area that you always knew was going to be your path or was it something you fell into? How did that happen? Yeah, no. Uh, teaching wasn't the the thing that I dreamt of doing when I was a a young kid. It's um not where I thought I'd end up, but here I am, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I actually, as a kid, I always wanted to be a doctor, and then that was my thing. I was going to be a doctor, going to be a doctor, going to be a doctor, and then as I sort of got into high school, I loved working with kids, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll I'll do like pediatrics, and I did all you know. My HSC was all science subjects, you know, chemistry, biology, physics, all these things that I had. To to do. And then halfway through year 12, I started to think about, oh, like, what if there's like kids and I, I can't help them? Like, I can't make them better. Like, that's, I don't know if I could deal with that. So then I really reflected and I thought, what can I do where I can really make a difference to every kid? And here I am now doing teaching because, you know, that's why I do what I do so that every kid that I work with, hopefully, is better off because of the time that they spent with me. So that's why I do what I do. Oh, amazing. It was that kind of, because it sounds like it was a real desire to help people and that's where it came from initially. Was that sort of a value that you grew up with within your home? Uh, definitely. Uh, definitely something I grew up with. And I think too, I and it even went down the teaching road when I thought about it, about the impact that teachers had on me and helped me get to where I am today and overcome some, you know, some difficult and challenging circumstances. You know, those teachers were sort of like, you know, safe people in my world. And to think that, you know, I could be that for somebody else is awesome. And, you know, my family were always big on being kind to other people, even if they're not kind to you always about helping other people because you never know when you're going to need somebody to to help you out and pay it forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think those are awesome values, especially to grow up uh, around. Was that sort of translated into the financial side of your household as well? Like often I think there can be this idea that to be a giver, you can't also have a focus on money. And then that's sometimes where our limiting beliefs around money are born. So what was sort of the beliefs around money in your household growing up? I would I would say honestly, in my house there was very little talk or education about money. And so that really didn't set me up for success. I do remember always my parents just working very hard. So they both sort of uh, they were part of a small business. And I remember, I guess for me, always having this mindset of you had to work so hard that money was such a hard thing to gain and to have. And so I guess, and because we didn't really talk about it, it wasn't something that we, I guess my parents sort of educated me in finances. I just didn't really have any understanding of money and how to manage it well or how to look after it. I just um, kind of spent, 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 and there wasn't really much of folks. I do remember though, my parents were always very generous towards other people. You know, there was always that modeling of, well, we're going to help this person out with this or help this person out with that. But yeah, there was sort of no real, I guess, 
upbringing or teaching around how to look after your money and how to manage it well. I just remember it was always, you know, from a small business mindset, it was always a struggle for my parents. It was always hard work and people weren't paying. And, you know, it sort of had this kind of really negative, I guess, um, mindset around money. Yeah, it is an interesting environment to grow up, grow up around in small business because mine was very much the same. Like parents were small business owners and it was the exact same mindset of everything was hard and difficult. And if you wanted to earn the rewards, you had to put in the work and the time and time equals results was was sort of that thinking. And so it's so interesting that you went from that environment into a career that some would say is probably quite a lot more structured, maybe even yes, stable. Yes, and I, and I think maybe that was part of my mentality of I did not, I was not interested in business at all. I did not want to do mm. that because I think in my mind, I just wanted to have a job where I knew I would get paid every week and I could rely on that steady income. Do you know what I mean? It was just, yeah. Um, and even now, you know, the idea or the thought of even starting a business or doing something like that, it just makes me go, oh, no. Like I just have that negative thinking around running a business or doing your own thing because of seeing what my parents went through growing up. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I suppose as a spender yourself, having that more structured income means that you can delegate your finances a lot Mm. easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. And so how do you work that out now? Like I suppose you've grown up with this very, I mean, small business tends to be messy, right? Like there's money coming in, there's money going out, there's money flowing everywhere. But when you have that structured income, you have a much more, I guess, like streamlined approach to how you work out where your money is going. So how have you established that financial routine for yourself? Well, honestly, I finished uni and I started working and there was no plan. And um, like I said, because I sort of didn't have any kind of, you know, mentoring or coaching around how to look after my money. I just spent, spent, spent. I would live week to week because I knew what I would get in my next paycheck and I would spend every cent. And then I sort of have those two days where I'm like, oh, hanging out for payday to come in because I just didn't have any of those, you know, find that financial um, understanding on how to manage my money well. And then, you know, you do all of the things that you normally do. Oh, I need a car and I need it now. So I'll get a loan. And I know, you know, my wife and I, we were married for um, five or six years before we had kids. But we really, in that time, we had nothing, we had no savings. We, we had consumer debt, we had car loans and credit cards, and we just didn't have anything saved because we didn't really know how and what we needed to put in place. And then um, thank goodness for Glenn, who uh, is a personal friend of ours who sat down with us and really helped us come up with not a budget because we didn't like that word, a spending plan. You know, Glenn's Mm. spending plan honestly did save us because it helped us really look at all of the things that we are committed to and then putting things in place to help us still enjoy our lives. So we've got, you know, our money where our um, we get paid into and our bills come into and then we have separate accounts where we transfer money for, you know, just like enjoying life. We've got that little bit of money every week. So it was really Glenn helping us look at all of the things that we have and then putting things in place so we're not, you know, missing out on stuff, but we're just managing our money. We've got, you know, allocating this much to this and allocating this to this. And in, you know, probably 12 months of working with Glenn and following his tips and tricks and his spending plan, we sort of were able to pay off our car loans and consumer debt and get rid of all of that and then really start to to save and work towards those future things that we wanted to do, like 
having a house and things like that. And, you know, we're sort of in that position now where we going on the journey of building a home. But 10 years ago, would I have thought that was possible? Absolutely no way, because we had zero savings. We had all this debt and we, I just didn't really know how to use my money and manage it well. It's amazing what just a little bit of guidance can do for someone's life. And, you know, you mentioned growing up, you never had that mentoring or that discussion around money and financial literacy and general financial knowledge is such a huge, I guess, blank spot for so many people in life. And once you had Glenn come in and help give some direction to that, it sounds like it made a lot, everything made a lot more sense to you. So do you, are there any lessons that you still uh, remember or have taken from Glenn's advice then that you wished and would have been helpful to have, you know, back uh, in your uni days and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, first of all, sitting down and looking at everything that comes in and everything that goes out because it's so easy to just live day-to-day, moment-by-moment, you go, oh, I've got car rego. Like, it's one of those things, like, it's not like you didn't know it was coming. Like, it's it's there the same time every year, but it always catches us off guard because we're not planning, like we're not being strategic and well, if I've got all of these things that I'm, you know, committed to, I have to make sure that I'm taking that into account when I'm, you know, sorting my money out weekly, that I'm allowing for that, even though it's not happening right now, so that when it does happen, I'm not like, oh no. It's just some of those things that we just forget. Like there's those expenses that are always there, but we don't actually, I think the thing I found useful was the sitting down, taking stock of everything that comes in and everything that goes out. And also looking at some of those things and going, do I even really need that? Like that was a a great process too, because Glenn would go, oh, well, like you're doing this, like, why do you, why do you spend that much on that? Like, do you need that? And you realize some of the things that you do that you go, wow, I spend heaps of money on maybe because it's $5 here and it's $5 there. And I do it in the moment. It's when I sit down and take stock and I go, oh, wow, like I, I could really save a lot if I was more mindful of those things. And I think that was one of the best processes to go through was that first step of just sitting down and taking note of all of the things that we that we do. Mm, yeah, it's amazing how many blank spots are there when you just look into it a little bit more. I think one of the most, the easiest, most accessible things anyone can do in starting their journey, as you've pointed out, is just physically writing out a list of all the income and all the expenses. Like on balance, on a piece of paper, what's coming in and what's going out. And just a simple overview like that is like, okay, now I at least feel like I have some control over what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And you can really see what you're doing with your money and then monitor some of those, I guess, maybe bad habits or things that you know, you're doing, but do you really need to do them? And like you said, it's not until you sit down and take stock that you realize that maybe lots of the little things that you do really do add up and you go, oh, wow, look at, look at how much I've spent on coffee or, or going out or things like that. And those things are, are good and you should still do them, but maybe we can be a bit smarter in not spending as much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did you feel throughout that process? Because often it can be quite a stressful thing to get around to sorting your money, right? It was confronting, like, and felt very uncomfortable, like, you know, like, oh, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of it, it was, it was worthwhile. And even going through the process when we sat down and we looked at, you know, all of the things and we started to go, okay, well, we're going to allocate this much to, you know, our weekly spending on going out and groceries and things like that. And 
felt very limiting. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I've only got, I think when we started the journey, when we were both just, you know, the two of us, we sort of gave ourselves $400 a week for groceries and petrol and spending. And I was like, you can't do anything. But Mm. it's being smart about, okay, well, if this is what I've got and I've allocated myself, it's actually not a limiting thing. It's changing my mindset um, Mm. because we can then go, well, this is all we've got. What can we do with it? And we can be smarter and do things that maybe we wouldn't have done because we don't have the money, but maybe we'll just like, you know, do something like go for a walk rather than go out to a cafe and, and buy a meal still great things and had great times together, but it was, it was kind of at first made me rethink, you know, some of that spending because we just did it because we could, whereas now we're being more structured and we're, we're saving. So we do have to look and be, I guess, a bit more diligent at making sure that we don't go over the things that we're allocating in, in our weekly, you know, spending plan. And it can feel sucky at the time because you feel like you're missing out. But in the long term, you know, like I said, we're at this place now where we're buying a house and we're building a house and, you know, all of those little things that we did along the way helped us get to this point. Yeah, I think you've touched on a really important misconception about budgets or spending plans or money as well is that it, you know, people think it's only going to limit me. Without one, you're already limiting yourself anyway because you don't have that control or that oversight over what you can spend freely. So you're thinking, I need to save every dollar or you feel guilty every time you spend. Yeah, and I remember Glenn saying to us, um, like, do you want to buy a house? And I was like, well, yeah, that's that's something that we want to do. He said, well, the way you're living now, you're, you're stopping that, you're limiting that from happening because mm. you're not structured. So you might feel limited now, in with the, with this spending plan, but in the long term, you're actually opening up all of the possibilities that you can have because you're not limiting yourself. You're just being more structured in your approach, and um, it was definitely changing that mindset of having a positive attitude about it to get us to where we wanted our long-term goals to be. And even that was kind of an important step of Glenn asking us, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to do in the long-term? Because I know we didn't really think about that. We were just enjoying the moment and living in it, you know, living our lives. And it wasn't until we had kids that you start to think about some of those things. It's kind of changes things. You go, oh, yeah, well, these are the things I, I want to do for my future. But if, or, if I want to get there, I'm going to have to make some shifts and some changes because if we didn't, we would not be where we are today. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting the stages you go through with your money because you managing your money on your own is one situation, but then you managing your money in a relationship is a whole different thing. Add kids on top of that. There's so many layers to think about. Like what element did your relationship initially uh, add to your financial situation? <laughs> Well, it didn't, it didn't really help that my wife was very similar in her experience to me. There wasn't really any sort of upbringing or teaching around financial understanding or budgeting. And we were both, you know, pretty good spenders. She had her job and she pretty much did exactly what I did. You know, we lived paycheck to paycheck and then we just put all our money together in a joint bank account. It was like, whoa, look at all this money we've got. And, and that wasn't a great combo. Um, but I would say now, she is definitely the saver and I am still a spender, but we've got, like I said, those structures in place. 
and my I'm, I'm often having to convince my wife, like, no, there is money in the account for clothes or things. Like, you should go and buy that new, you know, dress you need for work or, or whatever. So she's very much... Uh, Still, I guess, at times fearful of spending because we were in such a free spending mentality that now it's like, oh, I don't want to spend anything because, you know, I want the house or I want these things. So it's it's trying to find that balance. Do you know what I mean? And I think having some of those structures in place, you know, we can have those conversations and go, well, it's okay because there is money in that account for that thing so we can use it. But we're just very disciplined in going, no, when that's not there, we we don't spend it. It's interesting because it sounds like you both very much grew together in that journey as opposed to both coming in with super strong ideals mm. of, of money and things around it. Yeah, we absolutely did. And we both, the whole spending plan and the way Glenn helped us set up, I guess, different accounts for different things in our lives, like a gifts and account and an account for clothes and account for that, that was all new to us. And we were just like, what is this? But it was, like I said, it's changed our whole approach really and it's changed our position to where we are now because um, we both yeah, just had no plans, no structures or anything and we grew through this process of working with Glenn together. Yeah, wow. So I suppose you both only really thought about and aligned those goals once you had that conversation with Glenn to think, okay, wait, what do we actually want for the yeah, two of absolutely. us? absolutely, absolutely. And so... What about your kids? Like, obviously, that would add a completely different element to that as well. And you had kids a little bit after getting married. So had you, was that a new phase you sort of had to enter in of like, okay, now how are our goals changing and how is our situation changing? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much more mindful now of setting our children up for success in that idea of teaching them about money and how to manage it well. So for one thing, I think, um, for me, I never grew up with that, that whole idea of pocket money. Do you know what I mean? That was never like a thing where I, I earned money and then I was responsible for it. My parents were just very big on, oh, if you ever need money, just come and ask for it. And I think that that did not help me at all. Like my parents were like, we're not giving you pocket money, but if you need money for something, like we'll just give it to you. So I had this whole mentality of like, you know, oh, well, a bit like an ATM, you just go and you just get money out and like, awesome. Life's great. I remember having a conversation with my mum about something like, oh, you just go to the wall and you get the money out. Like, it's just, that's just how it is, right? The whole like money tree thing. So it's, you know, we, we do, I guess, have a, a pocket money kind of approach to teaching our almost nine-year-old about money. So we've had that conversation with her around, well, it's like our lives. We have to do things in order to get paid. And then when we get that money, we're responsible for it. And so she has sort of things that she does that are her jobs or her chores. And she gets, uh, you know, it's generally $5 a week. And it's just simple things like doing the dishwasher, but also encouraging her that if you want to get more money, there are these optional things that you can do that will get you extra money that you can use to manage a budget. And she's quite a good saver, which is great. She sort of has, she goes through stages where she has a little obsession with something and she knows, well, if I do my jobs for three weeks, I'll have enough money to buy that thing that I want. And she's very committed to, oh, I'd like to get that sooner. So I know I need to put in a bit of extra work in order to get that that money. So um, I think it's just simple things like that, that we're starting to have those conversations with her to help her understand that idea of, well, we don't get money for nothing. Because I think that was the biggest thing for me is, you know, I just expected money all the time. Can I have this or can I have this? And I genuinely usually got it without having to put in any effort. So 
trying to just shift that mentality around, no, we don't get money for nothing. Um, when you do grow up and you're an adult, you have to do stuff in order to get paid. But we have very honest conversations too. Like we do go on holidays and we talk about, well, you know, the reason that we can go on holidays is because we have jobs and we go to work. And if we don't go to work, we don't get paid. And um, just starting to understand that idea of, you know, it's a, it's, it is a transactional thing. We have to do stuff in order to get paid. That's how life works. And then we have a, a budget and we save and we spend. And so she's usually pretty good. Like I said, she likes to save, but we've also encouraged her around, well, you don't have to save everything that you spend. So we've even talked about, you know, even starting to do some habits. Like if you get, you know, a certain amount of money every week, you might allocate some to saving and you might then keep some for spending now. And I know some of our friends have been talking about, you know, having sort of save, spend and and give, you know, doing something as well with, you know, the money that you have to help somebody else out. So having conversations with that around the money that we get each week so that we don't also make that fearful, I guess, spending mentality. If I can't spend anything, it's, it's finding that balance, if that makes sense of, teaching them healthy, that money isn't something to be scared of. We just have to be structured in how we approach it. Mm, That's amazing. It sounds like an incredibly conscious approach to, I guess, uh, teaching your kids the value of money, which was a conversation that it didn't sound like you had growing up. So you've made this little person who has a completely like a nice, well-rounded idea of the value of money, how it's earned, how it's spent, why you might spend it, why that's relevant. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's and like I said, it's definitely come from that place of trying to set her up for more success than what we had because we just didn't have that kind of teaching or, you know, coaching when we were children. Yeah, and that's so cool. Uh, thanks, everyone. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a second. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back, everyone. Aaron, we're just speaking about how you are changing the lives of your kids, the money lives of your (laughs) kids, so that they uh, understand the value of money growing up and kind of set them up for success, which is so amazing and so cool to hear that story as well. Uh, You had mentioned that you're in the process of building a house. Uh, So what's that process been like to you? What 
elements of that added to your financial situation? Yeah, so we are in the process of building a house and golly gosh, it's what a long process it is. We haven't actually started building yet, but we're getting closer and closer and closer every week. But we weren't intending on building a house. It's just sort of how it's happened. We were looking at buying and um, with the market the way it was, it was just really challenging for us to find something, I guess, in the area that we wanted to do. We are like I said, I'm a teacher. I'm definitely not a handyman. So buying something and renovating it is just really not an option for me. So we were looking at, you know, what can we afford? And um, we've sort of came across, you know, looking at building a house is probably the best option for us. And we had managed to, through, like we talked about earlier, setting up some new routines and systems with our money, we had been able to save deposits. You know, we paid off all our consumer debt. We got to a nice place where we were able to save a nice deposit. And um, we were also, you know, generously given some money from a family member who had sold their house and then divided up some of that to us. So that really helped us um, in being in a position where we could then buy and look at, you know, having enough for a deposit to look at buying land and then building. And I think that also helped in the sense of, um, because we're sort of doing two separate stages, like we're buying the land first, we could have a smaller deposit for that. And then in the meantime, we bought off the, the plans before the land had actually been subdivided and developed. So in the last two years, we've actually been not paying anything for our mortgage on that land, but we've been able to save more in that meantime so that now when we come to the building part, we've actually got a deposit for that. If that makes sense, instead of having needing this one big amount, we're actually able to sort of do it in two smaller chunks which for us was a lot more manageable. Um, And it's been, I guess, a frustrating process because we purchased our land two years ago and it's still not ready. Um, So it's a long term, but it was actually the the easiest way for us to get into the market because the deposit we needed was so much smaller. Entry step because we just needed to pay the deposit for the land and then because it's not uh, registered with council, it's under not, it's, are not developed, we're actually not paying any repayments. So for the last two years, it's just been that steady saving weekly, fortnightly to then build up um, the account again. So we've got another strong deposit for when we go into that next stage where we have to pay the building and get the building portion of our loan. And it wasn't something I really had thought about. Building was not really on our radar of something that we wanted to do. We just wanted to buy a home. It just kind of was an alignment of, you know, many different, you know, events that just made it work out that, you know, oh, this is actually a really good option and land in an area we were interested in came up and it just all kind of fell into place. And I remember it was a bit like, you know, we saw this land and then two hours later we paid the deposit and it was like, well, that was easy. (laughs) And I know that's not everybody's journey, but um, yeah, we had actually sort of given up on buying a house because we just thought we just don't have enough. We just, for what we want, we don't want to buy a shack and have to invest money into it. We just can't buy where we wanted to to buy, if that makes sense. We were sort of sort of putting it on the shelf until this idea of, oh, why don't we look at land and building as an option came up and yeah, and it turned out that it, it actually was the perfect thing for us to to help us get to where we wanted to be. It's just, it's not that immediate. We don't have it now. Do you know what I mean? It's been a two, a two and a bit year journey and we still haven't started building yet, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah, no, for sure. And it sounds like that process is a lot less overwhelming 
for you maybe as well to be able to just take it in small steps and feel like getting the home that you want is actually an achievable goal as opposed to feeling like, oh my God, everything's happening. I have no idea what's going on and there's money flying everywhere. Yeah. And it's crazy. And, and we were, I guess, very mindful of, we didn't want to overcommit ourselves. So the house and the block that we're buying, it's not massive. It's not huge. It's a small block. You know, it's a simple four bedroom home. It will do the trick. You know, yes, we would love something way bigger, but we don't want to, we, we don't want to overcommit. And also, you know, our children are young. My wife is still only working part time while our kids are young. And that was something that we valued. Um, we had to have, I guess, a sit down and conversation of what do we really want? If we want that sort of next level of house, she would have to go back to work full time. And at this point in time, what we value more is being at home two days a week with our kids. So we will, I guess, make the decisions to stay within our means um, rather than overcommit. And I'm glad that we did too, because we all know where interest rates are at at the moment. We've actually, you know, gone under what we could afford to give ourselves that space in that room as well. Yeah. Will it be our forever home? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not, but it's, it's a starting point. And we are, you know, in our late thirties, scary to say that 37, we were also mindful of that. Like if we don't get into the market now, we, yeah, we're running out of time if that makes sense. So we needed to, to do something, but yeah, we were very mindful of not overcommitting ourselves. Mm, it's amazing. Cause I think you started in the best possible place, which was what do we actually want? Like, what are we, what are our values? Uh, and you made sure that you started at your goal. Like what is it we actually want to achieve here? You knew yourself that you weren't the handyman that wanted to do all the renovations. So what were the other options that actually made sense for you in your life while being able to still stick to, I guess, that financial plan that you've always had for yourselves uh, while still being happy? Because it's like you don't want to have to sacrifice everything just to get on the property ladder, you still want to be able to live in a way that makes you happy. And it sounds like you did that. Mm, and you, you're exactly right. We sort of had those conversations around, well, you know, if we, if we go and look at something, well, then it's, we're saying goodbye to holidays and things like that. And we don't want to, we don't want to do that. We still want to enjoy those things. So yeah, we just had to go for, you know, different options and, you know, we'll just make it work. Yeah. yeah. And for those out there who are considering you know, this road to this process or getting into property, like, do you think that the best first step is actually to sit down and have a conversation with those involved and be like, okay, like what are the non-negotiables here? What do we actually want our lifestyle to look like and go from there? Or how would you approach it again? Yeah, I think the the best thing for us was, first of all, before we even went out and looked at properties, we had those conversations, like you said, around what do we really want? What do we really value? And then looking at our spending plan and going, well, okay, if we want to maintain this kind of a lifestyle, what have we got to spend and work with? And so we kind of went um, into the conversations with our mortgage broker around, listen, this is what we want to spend on repayments in a month, rather than you tell me how much we can get approved for. And having those honest conversations with our broker out, do you think that's realistic? Like, you know, the market, like, what do you think? And we had some conversations and, you know, um, she was like, well, maybe you might need to, to go up a little bit more if that makes sense. And in the meantime, while we were in, you know, a rental, you know, situation where we're renting, we moved out of the one we we're in because again, we wanted to save some more money to help build up to get to, to the home. So we made some adjustments in the now 
to help us get to the long-term goal. But I think that was our biggest being really clear on what we wanted to spend and what I guess what we could afford to spend within our plan in order to still do those things that we wanted to do. Like I said, the biggest one being, you know, for my wife, are you prepared to go back to work full-time? Is that something you want to do? I mean, it's something that we would have done if we had to, but our values were, well, if we can avoid it, we'd like to do that. Mm, Yeah. And it sounds like those conversations really set you up for a more seamless process on the other side of it. Did that feel like quite a long process having those conversations or was it better than you thought? It wasn't, it wasn't a long process, but I'm really glad we had those conversations because if we didn't, I think we probably could have really got sucked into that. Oh, you can borrow this much. Do you know what I mean? Because our income would would allow us to borrow a lot more than we are actually borrowing. And sometimes that's the thing that we go for. Oh, well, we can spend this much and we forget the steps of, oh, well, what's that actually going to cost me each week? Like, and then we, we commit and then we go, oh, no, like, how am I going to manage this? I've sort of haven't thought about that step. So, and that was a big thing for us to even still now to go, oh, we know we could get more. Like we know we could be approved for more. So when it comes to the extras that they offer us, you know, you could add this on or you could add this on. It's tempting. It really is because we know what we could, we, what we could borrow, but it's kind of that short term pain for that long term, that long term gain and coming back to what do we really value? Mm. And what do we really want? And it's it would be nice to have those things, but we can get by without them too. And we can do some of those things later down the track because we'll own our home and, and it'll be ours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like having that strong alignment to what you want and actually establishing like, is this what we what we need or is this mm. like actually going against what we want in the long term? Yeah, and those conversations with Glenn really early on around our money and what do we value were, I think, really good and that's helped us with some of those decisions coming back to those things of, well, what do we really want in the long term um, has helped us guide some of those decisions that we've made. Yeah, it's almost like built a skill in a way that you can continue to use throughout your financial journey. Yep. And we've spoken about a lot of different life stages that you've gone through and that has affected your financial situation. And so many people listening, I'm sure, can resonate and and relate to that. You know, significant events mean taking kind of stock of what we're doing with our finances. Like for you, what has been the most significant change in your life and relevant to your finances? What has that taught you? I think the um, having kids was the biggest one for me because, like you said before, it's that I'm no longer just thinking about myself. Like, you know, if I overspend, you know, I'll eat two minute noodles for a couple of days or, you know, when, when we stepped into that realm of having kids, we didn't really have, I guess, a long term plan. And you sort of have that responsibility of, Oh, well, like, you know, I can, I can suffer for my bad decisions, but I've got these two other little people now that the decisions I make are going to affect them. And, you know, shout out to Glenn for being a great friend because he kicked off these conversations with us when we had kids. He was like, you know, you have kids now. Have you thought about these things? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, you need to. So let's, let's do that because I don't know where we would have been if it wasn't for Glenn starting those conversations. And that was really the catalyst, I guess, for him to reach out to us and go, hey, I'd like to to sit down and have a chat with you guys because, you know, you're in a different game now that you are parents and you've got little people that are depending on you. It's it's made, yeah, definitely 
ourselves be more mindful of making sure that we're setting ourselves up for success so that, you know, we don't get ourselves into a situation where I guess I felt like as a, as a child in a family that grew up in a small business where there was always that stress about money. And I love that we we could be in a place where things get tight, but I, I don't feel like in our home there's that same stress and that same worry, worrying talk about money. Like I remember always being hearing conversations with my parents like, can we afford the mortgage this week? You know, what are we going to do? Oh, this person needs to give me this money because we won't be able to pay the house. You know, we don't have any of those conversations because I think we've got systems and things in place. Like we have an emergency account for things like that. And, you know, if we have to use out of that, you know, we then, instead of saving into our other accounts, that's where our savings goes. We've got systems in place. Um, and I guess a, a, an honest conversation around that in action was, you know, I took our car recently to the mechanic because um, it was making a funny sound. And he was like, oh, I looked into the sound. He's like, you've got bigger issues than that. Your car needs a new engine. It's going to be $8,000. And I was like, awesome. That's great. Thanks. But because of the work with Glenn, we have an emergency account. We can afford that. Like it wasn't expected, but we've got a system in place where I can cover that cost. And now the systems that we have, instead of saving into our other accounts, we're just re-diverting for, you know, a few months to build that um, emergency account back up to get it where it needs to be. But without all of those things, like we would never have just been able to go $8,000, sure, here we go. I can pay that. It would have been credit cards. And, you know, to get to that place now where we don't live off a credit card, we don't even have one, you know, is a great place to be in. And when we have, you know, an $8,000 bill on our car to go, oh, yeah, it's uncomfortable and it sucks to see that account dwindle, but what a place to be in now because I know as a kid that just, my parents would never have been able to do that, never in a thousand years. Yeah, so I'm so thankful to the work that Glenn did with us because stuff like that, yes, we go, oh, but it doesn't stress us out, if that makes sense. It's not the end of the world. How am I going to do this because of all those systems and things we've put in place? Yeah, like that from my perspective is you achieving, if not, you know, having all the money in the world, a part of financial freedom that gives you the psychological like control over your money where you feel like you things may be inconvenient but you can handle them and it's not going to take over your entire life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, wind the clock back 10 years before we had kids, like we're just not, it would have been, we need to get another car and get a loan because, mm. and, you know, and, you know, maybe that would have been something we had, of, we had considered, but with the situation with the house now, like a loan's not an option. We can't consider it. So, you know, we're just grateful that we have that emergency account and we can use that because we've changed our approach and the systems that we put in place to our, to managing our, you know, income. Yeah, it's awesome to hear, really. And it's such a contrast, I'm sure, for you, especially like to the conversations you'd have growing up where the only conversations or things you'd hear about money sounded like they were negative conversations or upsetting conversations. Whereas now it's more of a productive conversation. If not negative, it's just about, okay, this has happened. How are we going to sort it with the foundations we've already set up for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely right. And, um, I, I do definitely feel the talk and even my wife says the same. The way we talk about money in our home is completely different to, um, growing up. And my wife, her parents weren't in small business, but her dad worked and he was a mechanic. So I guess it's not a big, 
income profession, but she said she always felt the same. It was always her dad always worked on Saturdays because he had to because they needed more money, um, you know, and she she felt like, you know, as a kid too, she missed out on a lot of time with her dad because he always had to work, 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 work in order to pay the bills and to just get by. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like it's tied into your values to allow her to be able to work part-time and make sure that that side of your life is being fulfilled as well. Mm, yep. And so what about now? Like, Let's think about the future. Obviously, you've got the house on the go, kids, there's a lot moving. What are your sort of main financial goals at the moment? So obviously, like you said, like getting through the house and that whole process, once we get through that, I think we'll then start to be, I guess, more mindful of the real long-term future, like things like, you know, thinking about super because we don't contribute mm. to that. But, you know, I've, we've had conversations with Glenn earlier about that. And it was again, well, what do you want? What's more important? Focus on the house. When you do that, then you can realign, I guess, your savings and things, um, in order to help you, you know, pay off your house sooner. But then also think about that life beyond work, um, and how you're going to, you know, enjoy your retirement and maybe start to then move into contributing to our super and building that up so that we have, you know, in, 20 years time when we retire, we've got more than just the minimum that's been contributed for, you know, from our employer. So it sounds like a long way off too. Like it's like, I don't want to think about retiring, but I know again, it's that, like we've talked about that short-term pain for the long-term, you know, we're, we're going to get, we're going to retire eventually. And I don't want to teach till I'm 70, unfortunately. <laughs> Fair enough too. I can understand that. And I think even just having those things in mind is, is, so key as you move through what are massive changes in your life anyway. It can be hard and can mm. often feel overwhelming, but it's just about keeping the core focus, as you said, on what's important to you. Yes, and I'm thankful for Glenn for bringing that because honestly, like super is not something I would ever think about. And again, too, it comes back to probably my upbringing. My parents never talked about super. It just wasn't even a thing when you own small business. It's just, you know, and my parents, you know, they're great people, but they, they live on the pension now and that's their life and you know they don't not enjoy their life but I also think about guys you retired like this is the time when you could be traveling and doing all of these things but they're not because they they haven't done those they haven't put systems in processes in place to help them get to retirement and have stuff there yeah, absolutely. It's so uh, similar to kind of how I've grown up as well. Small business family. Um, I'm from New Zealand, so instead of super, we call it Kiwi Saver. But same situation. They've never contributed, and so when I look at that now, I think, okay, is this kind of the direction I'd want my life to head in? Mm, when you still yeah. have so many years and so much opportunity to do things, and I'm now making those changes. Yes, and I guess I'm kind of grateful for the, uh, my parents are in their 70s, so they're, mm -hmm. you know, they had me quite late. I'm the youngest in my family, so I'm thankful that I can see them in that stage of life where and the stage of life I'm in now because I know, like, the decisions I make now is going to affect me when I'm them, if that makes sense. Whereas, again, if they sort of had me younger, I wouldn't see that until later down the track. It might be, you know, too bit of a, too late for that wake up call, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I guess you know, it's um, it's something to be mindful of. You know, it's a long way off, but what do I want that stage of my life to look like? Absolutely, and we've spoken about how 
your journey is really fascinating in particular because I think that you've started from a place where there was no knowledge, no discussion, no kind of confidence in terms of how you would manage your finances and probably a little bit of resistance to even get into that side of things because there was that lack of awareness and completely 180 to now where it sounds like you have complete control, awareness of what you want, you know your values, they're aligned within your relationship, within your family. So if the 22-year-old version of yourself or a 22-year-old of any 22-year-old came up to you right now and said, I have no idea what I'm doing with my money. I know you've been through this whole journey of figuring yours out. Like, where should I start? What are the first steps? What would you say to them? I think it's definitely the the first steps would be having those conversations of what do you value? What do you want? What are your long-term goals? And then going through that, I guess, first step of that spending plan is taking note of everything you spend and everything that comes in and aligning those two and looking at, I guess, even the frequency of your spending. What do you spend weekly? What do you spend monthly? And then looking at, okay, if this is everything I spend in a year, how do I plan for that week to week? You know, because I don't have rego now, but I am going to have it in a few months. So what can I be chipping away and allocating now so that when it comes, it's not that, oh no, the rego, ah, because, and I think that was the best thing that Glenn helped us do is we went into our weekly, you know, when our pay came into our account and it dropped in, I knew, okay, this much is going into this account for the bills. This account, this much is going into this account for weekly spending. This is going into this account for gifts and clothes. And it was almost like a set and forget. You know, it dropped into my account and these things were automated and the money just went to those places. And all I had to do was just make sure that I lived within the means of those accounts, if that makes sense. Instead of being stressed and freaking out about my money, it just started that habit. And the first month was annoying or uncomfortable because I could see that there's money in this particular account, but I've got to be disciplined and go, no, I'm not touching that because that is allocated for those are the bills that will come up that I don't have them right now, but they will come up. And so I think that was, that, that would be the first steps I would say to anyone is what do you value? What are your goals? And then what's coming in and out and planning ahead for those things? Because we do it. I know we used to do it all the time. It was like the rego papers would arrive and it's like, how, how was I not expecting this? It's literally the same date every single year. And every yeah. year I tell myself, I'll be ready. I'll be ready next year. <laughs> and I never am. Yes. I get that. I'm the exact same. Avoiding surprises is so important, yes. especially avoiding the surprises you already know about, but then avoiding the surprises you don't know about with things like an emergency fund. So that well, you and feel that's like the other thing I was going to say with the emergency fund. It's like sometimes it's frustrating because I can see it there and that's a really nice little balance. I would love to dip into that, but I've just got to be disciplined and not do it because then I have these moments like the car. That's what it's there for. Absolutely. That's what it's there for. Those are great reminders. And like those are, it's great reminders while you're talking about automatic payments because you want those things to be done on behalf of you so that those habits are building alongside you building your financial foundations. So it's Mm. an expectation. It's not a, oh yeah, I should save more this week. It's like, no, I save every week. And, and interesting enough, so now they're all automatic, right? So they just happen. But when Glenn was like, you know, do them automatically, but I'll, I'll be honest and say I didn't listen to that advice. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm actually going to do it because I actually have to make myself do it and reinforce that, no, I'm doing this because I've this is 
something I value. And so when we first started the first probably six months, my pay would come in and I would manually transfer those things because it was like reinforcing that, no, this is a decision I'm making. We're doing this deliberately. Do you know what I mean? Like it made me be more committed to it because I actually had to physically go and do it because no, I'm doing this because I value it. Does that make sense? Makes complete sense. Yeah, I guess then it just it just made me commit to doing it. To commit, it would be easy to cancel it because it's automatic. But I'm I'm making every fortnight. I'm making that choice to stick to it, to stick to the plan, because I'm physically going in and transferring it across. Yeah, that is a choice you are making for the betterment of your life. And Glenn actually told me about a book recently he was reading. I think it was about investing and uh, it's going to kill me that I can't remember the name, but it was saying how something really important to stay on your investing journey is to, say, invest in one or two companies, a small small um, amount of money where you've chosen those individual companies to feel like you still have some kind of ownership, like you've got some kind of buy-in. And I think you can apply that same concept to what you're talking about as well, where being manually a part of that process in some ways, maybe not all the time in a way that works for you, is going to help you to keep that buy-in into your financial journey. So you're like connected to the goals, connected to the habit, and you know that you're the one actually doing it. Yeah. And it really does become a habit because I, I'm doing it. It's not just, it doesn't just happen automatically for me and I just go along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is awesome. This is great. It, it's been such a cool uh, story to hear. And I think to know that you can go from a place where you weren't sure at all to a place where now you have that certainty and that control. And I can tell in the way you're talking about it that you really do have that confidence with your money now, which I think is an amazing thing to see and really inspiring for those of us who aren't quite at that stage yet. Um, and so, Yeah, it's definitely been uh, like a 180, complete turnaround. And had you said to me 10 years ago I could be in this place, I'd be like, no, nah, no way, not at all. That's awesome. And so how does that feel now to actually be in that place? Like, do you take time to be proud of yourself? Like, do you just feel like this is just the natural journey? No, I, I do. I look back and think of like, oh, like I'm so proud of where we are and it's very freeing. Whereas at the at the mm. beginning, I didn't feel like when we were implementing that spending plan, I did not feel like this was like it was freedom. It was like, like I said, like I felt so limited, but you know, we're down the track now and I go, like our daughter's about to turn nine. So, you know, we're nine years into doing this consistently and I can see the benefits and the payoff and the attitude, like I said, where I would constantly be worried about money. Like, you know, this bill that we got with our car this week hasn't fav- hasn't phased us. We just take it in our stride and go, yep, cool, no worries. It's not a panic. Yeah, it's been a great shift and I'm just so grateful to, you know, Glenn and the work that he's done to help us get to that place, you know, and it and it didn't happen overnight. Like I said, this has been a nine-year journey and we still, you know, we make silly decisions and we stuff up and we still, you know, learn as we go. But, yeah, I'm just really grateful for it. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the nine-year overnight success, as they say, where it's just been <laughs> yes. a little steps every day to get to the point where you are. And I think another awesome thing is that having that control gives you the mental and psychological capacity to do other things. I mean, for you, you've always had a core focus on wanting to help other people, which you're now doing, I mean, as a teacher generally, of course, but through your podcast as well. And I think a lot of 
feeling like free to do those extra things is knowing that you have the basics in your life mm-hmm. under control, like your finances. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's, it helps not having that stress or that worry or that thing to, to think about. Whereas before it was, yeah, it was something that was always, I guess, a worry. Like, you know, mm. I felt like myself sort of being in that mindset that I guess my parents were in because we weren't setting ourselves up for success and we were going week to week and money would run out. Oh, awesome. Well, it's been so great to hear your story, Erin. Thank you so much for your time jumping on today. Um, remind us again about what your podcast is, tell the people, and yeah, just thanks for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So yeah, you can check our podcast out. It's called the Teacher Takeaway Podcast. Um, so that's for educators where we just chat about, um, you know, teaching practice and what's happening in different schools and we're interviewing guests and experts in education to not just talk about, I guess, the theory, but practical, what can you do in your classroom tomorrow? And then you can also check me out on social media, Mr. J's Learning Space on Facebook and Instagram. And that's, I guess, maybe a visual diary of what I'm doing in classrooms and sharing examples of yeah, teaching practice and teaching ideas. So cool. All right. Well, make sure you go check that out, everyone. And thank you so much for listening. Looking forward to chatting to you on the next My Millennial Story. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.